from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Proud to be hanging out here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora airwaves inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios and we thank you so much for being a part of the show and hanging out with us and having some fun here, and uh, definitely appreciate you. So, with that being said, we are honored and privileged to have the guests that we're that we have on the show. You know, here from time to time, and and every single show try to really push the term and continue to bring you those great names in the history of the world of sports. You know, those that may be young in in the game, those that you know, may have already finished up their time playing, those that are coaching, and everybody in between. And so when it comes to the over 1,500 people that have graced the stage of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, there are few, few, few that I can mention laugh as much as Otis Hill and I do when he comes on to the show. And it's funny how he wore number four at Syracuse, and today is the fourth. He had March Madness. It is March. So I believe that this could be a sign Maybe a premonition of good things to come for Syracuse. Either way, Otis is Hill with Otis Hill is here with us today. He played in the '90s, obviously part of the 1996 amazing run by the Syracuse Orange men's basketball team to the Final Four and the championship game. So, with that being said, we bring Otis into the show. Otis, how you doing today? I'm good. Man. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. And 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 Otis, you know. What, what can you say about wearing number four and it's the fourth? Is, is there a sign today? Is this is this an, a good omen for Syracuse basketball? Oh, I hope so. I mean, um, you know, that whole thing with the number four thing, John, I, I can remember us being freshmen, and he was like, what number are you going to get? And I said, well, 45, you're going to go 44, I'm going to go 45 because we came in together. Yeah. And it, it worked out, you know, freshman year, and I changed it. Because Dave Johnson and I had a talk, and he was like, "Yo, he was like, listen, get four. He got a number for you." And for some reason, it's fit and hoping it is something magical, and it can help my boys keep winning. You know, and, and I don't know if I told you this. I think I told you this, but you know, I host trivia in Syracuse and in Cicero up here, and I u- I utilized you as one of my questions when I asked the fans what number you wore. And I, I got to tell you, you know, some people may know that you wore number four, but for whatever reason, some people think that you, when they remember it, they think that you, you wore number zero as well. Have you ever gotten that before? Because I, I was like, I got to use Otis Hill for this question, and people got jammed up between four and zero. It's funny. Um, I can remember my uncle asking me, did it yeah I don't, I don't know what it is but maybe it's because it was like a black hole if they went inside against you it was kind of like getting sucked into a black hole everybody talks about everybody talks about how great you i mean even in, in the thing that's amazing and i know you appreciate this but we're talking 20 plus years later i'm still getting messages from fans stating you know how you know we wish that he could be on the team right now we wish that you know we had otis you know underneath he gave so much i, w- I want to read what one of the fans wrote here directly here because i want to give him a shout out here uh chris actually put up the cues in the house oh my god video when you were doing the interview and the broadcaster was dancing with you guys and all that and we had uh chris also wrote dude was a banger down low we could use his grit and muscle this year thank you otis for all the hustle and muscle and then you got otis the man and then some people are still saying no this is otis the great my favorite player you know what what does that mean to you to hear all of this people saying not only were you fantastic then but they haven't forgotten any of it in 20 plus years and they're kind of begging for you to come back as well (laughs) it's really it's really awesome and it's a testament to how great uh, Syracuse fans are, you know, like you said, 20 plus years, I haven't really graced the floor, and to have people still remember what I did on the floor, and how much, how hard I worked, and 
because they don't have an inside guy and they need somebody to control the paint because once you have that control of the paint, it makes it easier for the defenders, it's easier to rebound, but it really is great to hear people give me those, give me those praises. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing is you know, Syracuse fans. And now, now, granted, you know, there's there's some people that go out to the Syracuse games and they're screaming and they're yelling, and you wonder if you know what the heck's going on with them at, at that time because it seems to just be, you know, there, there's. I think everybody's got those fans, Otis, that you know they're having a bad day at work and they take it out in the Carrier Dome. But then there's those really there's those true fans. There's those people that you know, love you no matter what. They remember you. They remember what you did. You know, the, the people that we're talking about right now. What can you say about, about that side of it? Because it, every fan base has those fans that no matter what you do, they're going to be angry for whatever reason. But then there's those fans that are going to love you up no matter what. And you could lose every game, win every game. They're still going to show up to the Dome and cheer you on. Just what you could say about those fans. Those fans are, I, I, I want to say that those fans are the most important piece to having a great crowd. When you look up, I can remember um, my freshman year, the lady named Melanie. She had cancer, and she was one of the biggest Syracuse fans ever. And her family contacted me. And she had made every Dome game for like something ridiculous, like nine years. And her cancer had gotten bad. So they asked me. Oh, I think we lost Otis uh-huh. here. Uh, Otis, what did you say? You said that the family had asked you what? You had cut out for a sec. Oh, sorry. The family had asked me to uh, to sign up before. I told the family, no, I want to come visit her. So they were like, okay, we have her downstairs in the house. Um, you can come. So I went to visit her and the look on her face. She's like my. She called me her baby. She's like I have not. She's like I. come to see you play. Oh, we may have, we may have lost Otis here for a second here. Otis, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, can so you you, yeah, so you so you said that that she said she called you her baby. Yeah, she called me her baby, and she um, uh, she cried when she saw me, and those moments or what are the best moments about being an athlete being able to bring joy to people's lives. And when you have that, speaking here with Syracuse Orange Men's Basketball alum Otis Hill, you know, when you have those moments, I mean, you think about you have a big rebounding day or, you know, you score a bunch of points or the team moves on in the NCAA tournament and those all feel good and those all feel amazing. But then there's the moments of, you know, knowing that to a total stranger you mean the world, to to somebody that's never met you, you know, you're considered part of their family. You're what helps them keep going. There was one fan that said that, you know, his father stayed alive, you know, through the end of, of a recent Syracuse game and passed away shortly after the game was over. So, I mean, there's there's something to be said about the world of sports and, and why, you know, Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, I always say that my tagline is where sports meets life. There's, there's the winning the games and, and having those memories and blocking shots and grabbing rebounds and dunking the ball. But more importantly, there's the you change people's lives that you don't even know. Like there are people in this world that will always be affected in a positive way by Otis Hill that will never, ever meet you. Like what does that mean to you? It, it, it's astronomical when you really think about it. You know, I was always a young kid who just, you know, took it one day at a time, didn't really care about college, you know, future wasn't really important. And then all of a sudden, you got this. And so how much people love it. I've met, I have met, brought some type of joy to their life because of winning or they see their team being so. I think we 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 gonna we're gonna have to we're gonna call Otis back here and try and figure this out here because we had we had a, a little technical issue here. Want to make sure that you can hear Otis on the broadcast here when we when we get him on the line. So let's see if we can get him back here for you and get him all set and ready to go. Otis Otis, can you hear us? Okay. Okay. So we got Otis back here. So Otis, not you know, sorry to make you repeat yourself, but just what you were saying about those moments again. 
just that it's just that it's awesome and it's 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 amazing to be a part to be able to change people's lives for the better by playing a sport. You know, basketball is a great sport, but it's only a sport at the end of the day. So when you have someone that tells you, "Oh, my dad lived on to see you guys play," or my son was so excited that he loves watching you guys play, you guys made him want to play basketball. Those are the important things. Yeah, you know, and, and having that, like you said, it's astronomical. You'll never know how many lives you touch. You'll never know, you know, how many people are truly been affected by you or by your game or, or by something that you said or something that you did. I know that, that you and I have, have spoken about it before on the show that's, you know, you've you've had, you know, instances where, you know, you've had some interesting, you know, connections with fans or, or time that, that you've had with fans when, when you were talking about the guy that I think had a pair of your socks and you didn't know how he had a pair of your socks. So, I mean, at any given time, something, you know, something like this could happen and, and you have all different interactions with people. You have the people that, you know, are, might cry when they see you. You have the people that, you know, may may somehow have gotten into your hamper in your in your dorm room that you didn't know about. You know, so, I mean, how, how did you kind of navigate it all? Because, you know, there's there might be some Otis draws out there somewhere. You don't know Otis. So, I mean, <laughs> how do you handle it all? <laughs> um, honestly, when I was in school, I, it just, I was just happy to be there, to be honest. You know, I was a kid who got my, I came from a working class family. Yeah. My dad played college sports. My mom was in college. She went to college. Um, I had a couple of cousins that, you know, played big time NFL, NBA, but for me, it was just about having fun and enjoying life. And when you get to that point where you have people sending you things that you had, you're like, well, how? Like you said, how did you get this? <laughs> like it, yeah. it, it's crazy. Like I've had, I've had shoes sent to me. I've had pictures. I took a picture with a nun at Carousel Mall in 1995. <laughs> I was in New York City walking. In Manhattan, and there was a priest and two nuns. Yeah, and the nuns started screaming, and I'm like, "Oh my god, <laughs> is that a bad sign? Am I a demon? Like, what's going on?" Yeah. She's like, "You don't remember me, do you?" And I said, "No." She's like, "Oh, so I met you at Carousel Mall. You signed the autograph for me," and I started laughing hysterically, and we both started crying because she had had a bunch of trials and tribulations, and because she started watching basketball, it gave her. Um, that relaxation and it was a hobby. It became a big hobby for her. You know, th- th- that's great. But like those moments, that that to me is not- first and foremost. I I don't know if anybody else on this planet can say that they've ever witnessed a nun screaming when it hasn't been a demon. So. <laughs> So like you're you're like the only time because normally you know like nuns are reserved and you know the brothers and the nuns and the monks and the priests and you know pope and everybody got to be quiet you know real tame and all that but the fact that that you're in New York City and a nun was screaming it's like you're either Damien from the Omen or you're Otis Hill which is pretty awesome. <laughs> right, and then, and that was the thing you know because I was like oh god. Because I went to Catholic school, I'm like, oh, this is one of my former teachers. You know, I didn't know what was going on, but turned out to be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely, and and so I mean, that's that's pretty amazing for you. I mean, I I can honestly say that between the sock story that you don't know how the guy got your socks to the story about the nun screaming, uh, which one is better? I would have to say the nun. <laughs> I used to tell my girlfriend at the time that that was a get out of hell free card. She used to crack up. She's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. I took a picture with a nun, and then I saw her years later. You know, that, that's a sign. I'm going straight to heaven, hopefully. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, or it's just God's checking up on you again, trying to see where you're at. So, true. True. <laughs> so, oh, and this is the thing too: when people say God doesn't exist, He found you in New York City, Otis. He knows where you're at. <laughs> right? Somehow, some way, He did it. You know. He saw he saw that little blip, and he knows when I asked him that trivia question, he's like, he wore number four. Everybody that said zero is going straight to hell. I was like, damn. <laughs> so, Otis Hill here with us this morning on 
Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. God is ruthless. But uh, here, here this morning on Wake Up Call, your your teammate John Wallace got his jersey retired over the weekend, and and I know that uh, you said to me off the air you had an opportunity to speak with him. What can you say uh, first about the retirement of John's jersey, as well as uh, what that conversation was like between the two of you? Well deserved. Um, I've been saying it for years that John was very underrated. You know, a lot of people don't realize how talented, how sure of himself, how good he really was. Yeah. I know, you know, Marcus Camby was out that time. Uh, Kentucky had a team that time. You know, there was a lot of good players that year. And to me, I still say John was the best player that year in uh, college basketball. You know, um, just talking to him about, you know, his life, his family, his daughters, his sons, you know, his, his brother. Everything's just going well for John. And I think nobody deserves it more than him because a lot of people didn't really know John and made assumptions. But John is a great person and he loves the orange with everything that he has. And he used to leave it out on the floor every night. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like you said, you know, people make assumptions about people and, and they don't really know who they are. You know, I had the opportunity to meet John almost 10 years ago. I want to say around, uh, I want to say in 2012, I met him. So yeah, eight years ago, almost eight years ago to the day. And the crazy thing about it is growing up and watching that 96 team, you know, you and him were, were the guys that I watched and paid attention to the most on that team. And John was always my favorite player. You know, he played for the Toronto Raptors, which obviously has always been my team. So, you know, there was any state close to home when he played for the Knicks and whatnot. So I would I would focus on focus on you and focus on John and, and focus on, you know, the whole team. Like I was saying, Marius Janulis and J.B. Reef Snyder and Lazarus Sims and, and, and so on and so forth of that team. So many great players on that squad. And, you know, Cuse is in the house, oh my God, is not something that I took lightly. It's something that has been in my studio in my first dorm room in college, it hung above the door and it just stayed with me forever. So, I mean, for you to go back to those moments, I asked John this too, and I think I asked Lazarus this, so I'm going to ask you, and, and maybe we talked about this before, but who created Cuses in the House? Oh my God. Like who was just sitting in the locker room one day? Like where did it happen? How did it happen? When did we get Cuses in the House? Oh my God. I need to know. It's like watching the Avengers and saying, who created this? Like, I need to know, how do we go back in time? Was it Tony Stark? Was it Ant-Man, Captain America? Who did it? So how, how did we get Cuse in the house? God, you're making me think, Dan. You're really making this old brain think. Um, this old young brain. Stop it. Right, old young brain. But let's see. If I'm not mistaken, John, there was a song yeah. that had this beat, the same exact beat that we used. And... Um, it was called When the East is in the House, Oh My God. And it was so funny because we were looking for something to do to get us motivated. And John, being the leader that he is, he comes in the locker room and he's looking at us and he's listening to the song and all of a sudden he starts going, the kids in the house. So we all looked at each other. Me, Todd Bergen, uh, Alimu Nelson, and Lazarus. We were all sitting in the locker room and he just started doing it and it just caught like wildfire. Yeah. We started doing it in the hallway, and then all I know is one time we went we went somewhere and played the NCAA's, and we came back, and we had like seventy year old grandmothers, fifty year old moms. When the kids is in my house, like they screaming at us, <laughs> yeah. and we are dying. Like it went it it went crazy during the final four. Yeah, it did. But it that's just that's just how it was being an origin at that time. We weren't, you know, we, me and John had put, John, myself, Lazarus Sims, we had pretty big, you know, names as far as recruiting. But the rest of the guys, you know, they were good in their states and whatever, and people didn't believe that we could do what we did. And we, we knew. John said it. John looked at us, he said, we're going to shock a lot of people. And the Cuse in the House was really a big part of that. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and I was, you know, and that's the thing is, like, Houston House, oh my God, like, that was with me all the time. Like, that was constantly, 
with me and 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 I got to tell you and, and this is this is true is 100% true Otis this is true just as true as a as a nun screaming okay so so the 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 truth to this is so so I um so I had Cuse in the house oh my god above my door now my roommate was a Maryland fan okay he can go to hell I'm kidding I'm kidding I'm joking I'm joking but he was a Maryland fan he doesn't have to go to hell he can go to heaven but he's a terp so I was like all right you got your thing you do you and I'm putting cues in the house, oh my God, above our door. Because you're trying to figure out where do we put stuff in the room. And I was like, listen, I don't need much to go up. But this has to be up there. Like, that was the only thing I wanted to hang on the wall. So I said, that's got to go above the door. So I had this friend. And I'm going to be I'm gonna be real with my listeners and my viewers. And I'm going to be real with Otis right now. So there's this girl that I kind of wanted to date when I was a freshman in college. And she had a friend. So, so... I'm gonna sound like a jerk for a So you know how like when you're, you're nice with the friend because like you wanna you wanna like build a good rapport. You know what I'm talking about, Otis. So 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 her friend comes in and she looks at the sign and she says, "Kuse is in the house." Oh my god! And I was like, "Wow!" So I was like, "That's when I needed a nun to start banishing some demons." So I'm like, I'm. I'm looking up at it and I'm going, where am I from? And she goes, Syracuse. And I go, right, Syracuse, Syracuse. So take the Sarah off of it. Where am I from? And she goes, I don't get it. And I was like, wow, we can never be friends again. And Otis, I swear to you, we have not been friends since 2003. I was like, get out of my house. Oh my God. You know what I mean? I was like, what, what is going on? And it's just like, but you know what I mean? Like I got a tear in my eye right now, but like, seriously, it's like, how, how, how can you get that wrong? But, but you know, it's just whatever. But so like that happens, but the, the speaking of tears, there was this one newspaper clipping that was in one of the restaurants here in Syracuse and it, it damn near broke my heart. I still can't even think about it without me making without it making me sad. And that's uh, the picture of John with his arm around you and it says something like close but not enough or something like that where where you guys had lost the championship to Kentucky. Bring me do you do you have flashbacks and I mean it was such a fantastic run and I remember it for all the good stuff. But that newspaper clipping was so heartbreaking because you were the team that I think even if people weren't rooting for you, they started rooting for you. So bring me back to kind of the juxtaposition between that is such an amazing time in Syracuse history. And then there's that newspaper clipping. And do you remember that moment after the game when he put his arm around you and and and, you know, you guys just had that moment of, you know, we got all the way here and we almost did it. Oh yeah, John. John consoled me a lot because I I took a lot of on that you know losing that game on my shoulders because you know the whole entire time teams were doubling me. We were able to hit outside shots. The double team wasn't effective, but Kentucky's double team was like four guys were on you at the same time. Um, I remember that because I remember I just wanted I, I felt like I wanted to just crawl into a hole and just sit there. And John put an arm around me and said, "We almost got a big fella. You got to work hard." for next year and that that whole run like we weren't like a lot of people don't understand with us we weren't the best of friends that team was not the best of friends but we were best of friends on the court we did a few things off the court but we just gelled so well as as, as brothers on the court yeah that it just worked and and that Kentucky game boy I tell you it still burns it's still every time I see a Kentucky shirt I'm like I want to just throw paint on it or rip it up <laughs> but yeah it was it was it was tough it really was a tough game and uh, yeah. I still have flashes of it and speaking here with Otis Hill Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum and part of the run to the 1996 championship game uh, Otis like you said it, it it's still it's still with you in, in those memories. And you said, you know, that team wasn't that close of a team. Like, you guys had your moments, but you weren't, you know, people wouldn't have thought that from the outside looking in. So, you know, what can what, kind of elaborate on that a little bit more. Like, what what was the atmosphere like? What Did you guys just 
butt heads a lot because there's a lot of personalities in the room. I mean, what what was the actual dynamic of that team like? I think the dynamics were we all were friends, but we had other friends outside of sports. Right. You know, I had Remo Nelson who became a uh, walk-on on the team. He was, he never really was around the team, and he was my best friend. So a lot of guys that I had made friendship with weren't a part of the team, and I think all of us who played on the Syracuse team had that. They had friends like Lazarus was from Syracuse, so he had people. Um, he had family and friends that he grew up with in the town. Um, John had people from Rochester to come up. I had people from the city. Like, my best friends from the city would come up. So, I think that helped us. Because when you're around a guy every day too much, sometimes it gets to be a little bit in your butt head. We never had that. We always had our own lane and our own friendships. And I think it made us stronger as a team. So, I mean, having that and, and having that connection on the outside, like you said, it makes you stronger because you have people, uh, you know, friends on the outside. What did that do for perspective for, for you to be able to have that, you know, I mean, do you think it's almost good for players to have those, to have your friends on the inside, but to also have your friends on the outside as well? Oh yeah, it definitely does. Because sometimes, you know, when you're playing basketball and there's pressure and you're losing or, or whatever, it can be a little bit much. And sometimes you need that avenue to step away. And I think for all of us, that's what our friends outside the sport did. It gave us a place where, it wasn't always about you got to get this many rebounds, or you got to score this many points, or you got to win, win, win. Most of my friends that I was really, really close to, they liked the sport, but they were very far away and removed from it. So I got that break. And having that, what did you do with the break when you know you could talk to people outside of the sport and outside of what was going on? What was the conversation about? What was it like? What were you? You know, what did you focus on outside of basketball to help you keep your head and keep your keep yourself, you know, grounded, so to speak, and not kind of lost in everything? Um, so for me, it was kind of it was kind of strange because I had I had like kind of weird hobbies. You know, I'm very into Japanese animation, and I'm also a closet country boy. My grandparents had a farm in Virginia, and every summer my parents used to send me there to work. Yeah. And I loved it. You know, I loved chopping wood. I loved uh, feeding the horses and riding horses and and um, feeding the chickens and doing farm work. So a lot of times I had a friend, my best, one of my other best friends from Syracuse, his name is Tim Felton. His godparents had horses and a farm and all that. And we used to go up there and hang out and get away from the media and the news and the town and just remove myself. And... When I had, those were some of my best days. And I, and I also had uh, these people, Mike and Lisa, they were our house parents. They, um, they used to tell us, come up to the house, come hang out, get away from, from campus. And those people that do that for you, they don't understand how much they're helping you to, to clear your brain from all the craziness of college basketball. And, and having that, you know, having that opportunity to clear your mind, I mean, I feel like, not just in the sport of basketball, but in general, you know, we get we get kind of lost in in things and, and lost in in moments where, you know, it's it's easy in life to kind of lose yourself and and not really, you know, not really feel like you can, you know, maybe find your grace or find or find that element to kind of bring you back. So when it comes down to it, when you look at the grand scheme of things and you look at, you know, playing the sport that you love, and once again here with Otis Hill of Syracuse Orange Men's Basketball. What can you say about keeping yourself focused and and, and finding a way to do that? Because in the world we live in today, there's so much going on. There's constantly information just thrown at your face, and it's hard to to focus. So you know how what would you say to players and people in general about how you can center yourself and stay focused? Like, what do you do to do that? You know, now it was so much easier back then because you didn't have, social media wasn't as huge as it is today. So a lot of times, you know, when I talk to uh, Mike Hopkins and I asked him about the Carmelo Anthony team that won the championship, I said, this team seems really together. And he said, Otis, you don't understand, this group of kids is one of the best kids 
These kids stay in the house. They really don't go out. They play PlayStation. They go to the mall. They eat together. And I think a lot of times college athletes don't realize you have to protect yourself first and foremost. Social media is out of control. I'm glad we didn't have it. <laughs> I'm, I'm super <laughs> happy we didn't, we didn't have it when I was playing. But um, I just think guys have to rally together and figure out safe, positive ways to get that stress out and to get away from the hectic schedule of the game. How, how do you, you know, for you, how do you, how do you center yourself? You know, in the world that we live in today, how, how do you keep yourself centered? How do you keep yourself kind of focused? And, you know, what are some things that you do? Because I was re I've been reading a book about, you know, practicing mindfulness and working on your breathing, you know, maybe meditating, you know, take it, take it some time to, to see your surroundings to not let your thoughts control you, but instead to control your thoughts, you know, just, just stuff like that and kind of re, you know, kind of visiting different areas to grow because I'm constantly going and I'm realizing that I need that. So what do you do for yourself? Oh, for me, physical, physical labor really helps me get out a lot of that. And also being around animals, people, a lot of people don't know this, but I have a draft horse that's pretty huge <laughs> her name is Luna and I kind of with her a lot and I also have gone to a wolf preserve I've been I've seen uh, bears in the zoo animals and physical labor seem to really help me center myself and get out that that negative energy or that whatever you want to call it that bothers you sometimes the biggest thing is you got to find what you love and just do it and a lot of people don't take that time, and, and I try to take that time as much as I can. Yeah, coming here from Otis Hill this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. The Dome is going through renovations. It's going to change. It's going to look different on the top. Hopefully the Internet's going to work there for the first time ever. So, you know, that would be nice, too. I love how – I was like, I love how they're doing all this stuff because – could we make sure, because the last game, my internet kept going. I didn't know if my story was going to get written because the internet was going on and off and up and down and around the corner. So I would say for the dome renovations, thank you for all the millions of dollars you're putting into the roof and whatnot. Please make sure that you put an antenna on that roof to make sure we get the internet. But what's your feeling like to know that the next time you step into the dome, it's it's going to be somewhat different there's going to be a new look to it i mean this dome has really kind of just been been itself since 1980 they've done some renovations to you know the ribbon boards and the graphics and the video boards and whatnot but you know the dome has been the dome for such a long time and now it's going to be an upgraded version of itself so what do you think about it as a former player i think she deserves a facelift <laughs> <laughs> we've been seeing her for years I mean, for years coming to the Dome, and, and like you said, the past couple of years, they started to do a little fixer-uppers here and there. And I think it's about time because, honestly, I've been to a lot of arenas around the world, and, you know, I've played overseas. I've, I've been everywhere. And the Dome, to me, is top three of one of the greatest places to play in. You know, maybe I'm biased because I've had my name chanted by 30,000 people. Hey, whatever. <laughs> but I've played in the Garden. I've played in Japan. I've played in Spain. And for some reason, that dome is just its just magical when you're on that floor. So you say the dome is top three best places to play. What are the other places for you? Madison Square Garden was um, unbelievable for me growing up as a kid, you know, watching watching Mike and watching Pat and watching uh, Oak and Spree, watching those guys play growing up. So to be able to play on that floor was just an honor for me. Um, and my other arena, I would have to say, would be the Cleveland Cavaliers arena back when I was playing, when I had my tryout, my short stint with them. That that floor was unbelievable. Um, first class, everything. It was just, it was really amazing. And uh, we got it. We got it. And which is really awesome. And we got a message that came in here uh, from Jerry Kelly said, please tell Otis that Coach Kelly at Lafayette says hello. Oh, I love Coach Kelly. Great man. Tell Coach Kelly, if you can hear this, I love you. Great to see you. Uh, email me and thank you. 
Yeah, so, some awesome stuff here. You said that the dome needs a facelift. If the dome was in L.A., she would have had five by now. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, you know, so it's crazy. But, it, it you know, I, I definitely agree with you that it's time to see, you know, to see that. But, I mean, it, it's to the amount of fans that show up, and this is the thing that, that is crazy to me. I've been a Raptors fan since the institution of the Raptors in 95 been a fan. So when they won a championship last year, I'm still waiting for apology letters, roses. I'm waiting for pe- I'm waiting for people to go out, you know, wearing wearing dresses and tutus and mini skirts all day long to work because they owe me an apology. So you know, I, I'm waiting. I'm here. So my thing is though, like I've been a fan since day one with Toronto. I went to one of their games a couple of years ago regular season game, 19,000 people. They're like, congratulations, you know, you're part of it. Like it was a nearly sold out crowd or a sold out crowd, whatever it was, 19,000. I was like, Syracuse gets 19, and that's NBA. Syracuse gets 19,000 when they play Binghamton. You know, they get 20,000 when they play Cornell or, you know, St. Joseph's poor university of doves that fly across country to America. I mean, they played some of the crazy, like IUPUI. There's some crazy teams that you hear of, but Syracuse sells out 20, they, they get 20,000 seats for any of these games. What does that mean to you as a former player and, and as an alum of the program that on Syracuse's worst day, it's still 20,000. And I think this year they have the top seven in attendance in America. In a year where they're struggling a little bit, it, it, like I said, it goes back to the beginning when we first started talking about how amazing Syracuse fans are. Like I tell people, ask me all the time, what other schools was I interested in? And I, and I say, you know, Connecticut was one, and there was um, Kansas was another one. But I said the love that I received after I became an Orangeman, I wouldn't have went any, anywhere else. Like you said, we're playing Colgate, we're playing Binghamton, we're playing LeMoyne, and we're getting 19,000, 20,000 people. That's just a testament of how much people love their team in their town. And, and I always said to myself, why wouldn't Syracuse get an NBA team? But then learning about the NBA and understanding the politics and everything else that goes along with it, Syracuse is, to me, the number one college basketball town. Well, and, and that's the thing, to have that many fans come in and show up and be a part of it. And this has been a year of some growth. This has been a year of trying to figure things out and, and to really, you know, see who this team is going to be in the future. They, at this point, Otis, though, as much as people may want to knock Syracuse or say they're not having a good year or this, that, and the other, I'm looking at a team that's got five freshmen, one of them that hasn't even been, you know, able to play in John Boljak. And, you know, besides that, you know, you're looking at the fact that you have Buddy Bayheim's a sophomore, you know, Marek is a junior, Barama is a junior, Elijah's a redshirt junior. And so, I mean, you know, there, there's no senior laden leadership here that's on the team. This is a team that's growing and figuring things out. They have 17 wins overall. They have a winning record in the ACC this year, which only, uh, I think only five teams have at this point or close to that of the 15 schools in the ACC. What does that mean to you? They have a winning record on the road. If you include their neutral, they're six and six, but on the road, true, it's six and four, 11 and seven at home, 17 and 13 overall, 10 and nine in the ACC. As much as people want to complain maybe about this year's team, does this year's team, I don't know, for me at least, I have seen consistent growth and where I've critiqued and criticized, I've seen them grow and I've seen them expand and elevate. I don't know if I'm crazy. You can tell me if I am. I feel like I'm seeing a team that's doing a, a damn good effort with what they have right now and, and trying to figure out who they are. Dan, you hit the nail on the head. People don't. People want instant gratification when it comes to things that they love. They want that instant gratification. These boys are busting their butts, playing hard. They've got some quality wins. And I think... A lot of the reason, like you're saying, a lot of the reason that they they aren't consistent in the win column is because they're so young. They don't have that senior leadership, and they need their big guys to be more of a presence in the paint. But if you really look at the body of work, what they're doing, they're doing great. 
they're doing actually really well. I was a little upset about the North Carolina loss because I got a lot of friends who yeah. went to Carolina. Yeah. And I've been getting texts and calls all freaking weekends. But they showed up and they beat a good BC team. You know, my cousin does radio for Boston College since he played there, Daniel Abrams. And we talked about the game. And the biggest thing he noticed was Bayheim, Buddy Bayheim has elevated his game and he's only going to get better. I think once we get our big men playing right and the team gels, watch out. They're going to be a tough team to beat. Well, and that's the thing, and I wanted to ask you before I let you go, speaking with Otis Hill, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum, Barama Sidibe in these last few games has been averaging you know, a double-double, and he at one point in one of the games recently had a double-double in the first half alone. His hands seem to have gotten better. He seems to be playing better underneath the rim. He is somebody that is getting after it. He's told me numerous times, if they're not giving me the ball, I have to create my own shots by getting the offensive rebound and putting it back up. What have you seen from Barama Sidibe and what he's been trying to do? Also, and, and I just got to throw this out here because you and I have talked about the physicality of the game and and how you know now you're not even allowed to like blow in somebody's ear. You get called with a technical foul. So... You know, he has been physical. I think his hands have been better. He has been around the rim a little bit more, grabbing rebounds. He's been trying to score and create his own opportunities. And I'm going to say this because I can't get fined by the officials. Half of the fouls they call on him, he's not even doing anything. So, I mean, I like his physicality. I like how he plays his game. I would be just as frustrated as he is. I'm sure you would be too. What are you seeing from Barama Sidibe? And then secondly, do you think that uh, that there's a, at least a few of these fouls that have been called on him that maybe didn't make any logical sense to the game that you played? Well, I, what I've really been seeing with him, because, you know, I'm a former big man, so I always watch big men. What I really yeah. like from him, I think his focus is different. Okay. I think he got into his head that he's going to play and he's going to do the best that he can. And I think with that came confidence. And then he got a little bit of confidence in practice and now it's transitioning into the game. You're starting to see him catch passes he wasn't catching before. Now he's moving guys out the paint. If he can play like that throughout the rest of the season and progress, he's going to be an unstoppable, I won't say unstoppable force, he's going to be a pretty good player. I just think what it is with him, he's got to get, he's got to get more minutes, and he has to stay focused and keep doing what he's doing and focus on getting better. Once he does that, I mean, he, he really has shown me a lot of progression in these last couple of games. And we see this uh, closing up, closing up here with Otis Hill this morning. Louisville, Florida State, Duke, Virginia, top four teams in the ACC. They're all ranked in the nation's top twenty-five the fifth team and only other team to have double-digit wins in the ACC, Syracuse. Unranked, but right there. Louisville, Florida State, Duke, Virginia, Syracuse is fifth. What does that say? Because, you know, there's the conversation of Syracuse is out of it. Bracketologists are not even having the conversation with Syracuse, it seems like. But here we are, and there's five teams out of 15 that have at least 10 wins in the ACC. Four of them are ranked in the nation's top 25 the fifth one is Syracuse, and everybody else is either 9-9 nine and nine or has a losing record in the ACC of the other 10 teams that are there. What does it say about Syracuse, and is the nation underlooking Syracuse, overlooking Syracuse, however you want to state it? Is, is there something missing here, knowing that they're in the top five in the ACC and they have 10 wins in the ACC, yet they're really not being regarded as, as more than an NIT team right now. Right. And I agree with you. The, the, the papers, um, a lot of sports columnists, nobody's really looking at them. But to me, this is where these guys have to understand. Now you got to put that chip on your shoulder. Right. Nobody expects you to win. And to me, that's disrespectful. So now we got to go out. We got to show and prove. But to be honest, they have nothing to lose. Nobody really expects them to win. So if they go up there and knock a couple of teams in the mouth and get those W's, they'll make everybody look like fools. So I'm hoping that they use this to elevate them 
to get more quality wins and, and have a great ACC tournament. Let me ask you this question. North Carolina's got the end of the regular season coming up. They played tough against Duke. They'll have, you know, they'll have an opportunity coming up here soon. And and when we look at, at their schedule, you know, they have just that Duke game that's coming. They're on a three game winning streak after losing seven in a row. They're on a three game winning streak against North Carolina State at Syracuse and against Wake Forest. They have that game at Duke at Cameron Indoor. They're six and 13, 13 and 17 overall. I want to ask you a question that some people might think is funny. But I'm, but I'm being real about this because we all know how Bayheim got sanctioned and how Roy Williams didn't get anything. I respect the heck out of Roy Williams. I'm just, I'm just trying to stay. Like if Roy Williams was Bob Smith, I'd be saying what I'm saying. I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying. So I'm going to say this. North Carolina hypothetically beats Duke on the road, 14-17 and 17 overall. North Carolina wins three games in the ACC tournament, 17-17. and 17. Do you think the committee finds a way to put North Carolina in at 17-17 and 17 above Syracuse? Of course. Of course they will. And, and they can't do anything to me, so I'm going to speak the truth. Carolina is a, is a powerhouse. War Williams, we're from Kansas, you know, Dean Smith and that. Bayheim has always been Bayheim. He's right. not going to change. He's going to be who he is. He's a great coach. But you know how they like to do it during the tournament time. You know how they like to see this. You know that sometimes they won't even look at this. And I guarantee you, if Carolina does exactly what you just said, they will be put in before Syracuse. And it's going to be a travesty because these boys are, are working hard and trying to get better and playing their butts off. Yeah, you know, and, and it's funny how the Big Ten – you know, they right now, allegedly, according to some people that are not named Dan Tortora, the Big Ten is going to get 10 of their four. First of all, this makes no sense. The Big Ten has 14 schools. Let's talk about that another day. But the Big Ten with 14 schools, they say the Big Ten is going to get 10 teams in, yet the ACC is not going to get in more than the teams that are at the top that are ranked. Louisville, Florida State, Duke, and Virginia. They don't want to let in Notre Dame. They don't want to let in Syracuse or Clemson or NC State. Georgia Tech's under a sanction right now. Boston College has had some good stuff. But here's my here's my here's my take. The worst teams in the ACC have beaten the best teams at the top. The Wake Forest and the Pittsburghs and the Virginia Techs and the Boston Colleges and the NC States and the Clemsons and the Syracuse teams have beaten the Virginias and the Dukes and the Florida States and the Louisvilles at the top. So they say this year's a weak year for the ACC. There's only four schools. They're all ranked in the top 25. Well, I think that's BS because the Big Ten doesn't have all 10 of those schools that they want to say are going to get in ranked in the nation's top 25. So that doesn't make any, you know, to me, it's like if your ranked schools are the only ones that get in, then the Big Ten doesn't get 10. But the bottom of the ACC is beating the top of the ACC. I think there's so many losses in the ACC this year because of great parity, because it's finally a conference where nobody is safe this year, not even North Carolina. So to me, this is a perfect year to respect the ACC because of the grind that they've been through. But call me crazy, Otis. They only want to let in the upper echelon. But I'm saying to you, the upper echelon has been beaten by the peasants of the ACC this year. You're right. A lot of, a lot of teams went down. Kansas, Duke. Name them, uh, Michigan. You can name all the teams. You're right. And what I what what I don't like about the NCAA is if you've got a team that's hot, they'll look at it and say, "Okay, we're gonna put we're gonna put this team in because of the name." That's how I feel they do it. I really believe that's how they do it. But you got a team like Syracuse who goes out, wins three games in the ACC, finishes up wins their last four or five games, goes in the ACC tournament, wins two or three games, and they leave them out. <laughs> like, it, 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 it baffles the mind of how these people sit in a room and say, okay, this, we're going to put this team, this team, this team. Some of it makes no sense to me, but hey, I'm just an ex-NCAA basketball player. <laughs> well, you know, and that and that's the thing, and that's the greatness of it is you can speak your mind and I can speak my mind because as I told a coach who coaches in the NCAA right now, you don't have to throw a chair. I will because 
I don't know anybody anything and they can't tee me up. So, you know, it's just uh, it's it's the beauty of, of, of having that. But no, I mean, I love the tournament. I love March Madness. And at the same time, if we don't ask these questions, then we're not doing our due diligence here. So, you know, obviously changes need to be made. Teams need to be looked at. And I'm ecstatic about going to Greensboro this year because I think the ACC is going to beat the hell out of each other. And I'm going to have some fun because maybe it ends up Duke and Florida State. Maybe maybe Virginia and Louisville. Maybe maybe Duke and, and Louisville end up in the in the championship game. Or maybe North Carolina makes the run with Cole Anthony now. Maybe Pittsburgh shocks somebody. Maybe Syracuse wins a couple games. Maybe Clemson and NC State, who already know how to beat these North Carolina teams, maybe they move forward. Maybe Virginia Tech pushes on. So, you know, maybe Jim Christian in Boston College. That's what I'm going to love about this year's ACC tournament is anything can happen. The The last seed in the tournament could end up being somewhere in the in the final four or the you know final eight teams of this all so you know ultimately Otis I think the ACC is being undervalued I think the Big Ten is being drastically overvalued and at the end of the day I just want to know that if Syracuse wins more games in North Carolina that they'll at least consider them (laughs) I would have to agree with you Dan because you know like you said you got some really tough teams in the ACC and I think when the tournament time comes they're going to see that they misjudge the ACC a lot because you're going to have ACC is going to take out a lot of teams. I really believe that. Yeah. That coming from Otis Hill here this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Sportora. With that being said, we will bid adieu to Mr. Otis Hill. But as you know, every week that uh, that the tournament goes on for the ACC for the last three, three, four years now, I have dedicated a very special Wake Up Call with Dan Sportora that. Every day of the ACC tournament, I interview Syracuse Orange alumni and have them on the show. I don't know if anybody else does it. I don't care if anybody else does it. We do it the way we do it here at Wake Up Call, and I love it. And and I've dedicated my airwaves to players like Otis Hill. So, Otis, I got to ask you, even though we laugh and we always have fun, I still got to make it official here. Will you join me on the airwaves during the ACC tournament next week? Come on, Dan. We family. You know that's automatic. I will definitely. <laughs> You know, and in the meantime, I'm about to go get a facelift and get my hair did and do what I got to do. <laughs> you know, all I know is as long as the nun ain't screaming for any bad reasons, you and I are okay, Otis. We're going to be all right. We're doing good. That coming from Otis Hill here on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora. I appreciate you, brother. And, and you know, I could talk to you all day. So thank you for your time. And, and just know that you put a smile on my face today and, and you put a smile on a lot of people's faces throughout history so keep being you and we'll talk to you soon all right dang glad to be on the show thanks for having me good talking to you